I'm Nikki, and here's a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. Momentum is a six-week class that allows us to see what God has done in the world and how He impacts the world we live in today. To register for this class or to learn more about what Momentum is all about, go online to cccgo.com events and click on Momentum. It starts Sunday, September 25th at 10.30 in room 225. On Sunday, September 11th from 2 to 5, our senior adult ministry is having a car show here on campus in our north parking lot. There's going to be tons of classic cars, music, and a great chance to connect with people from all around our community. This is something you won't want to miss. Have you been to My Crossroads yet? If you haven't, simply type cccgo.com slash mycrossroads in your browser and log in today. This website allows you to give your weekly online offering, register for events, see the church calendar, and interact with any group you're a part of. So what are you waiting for? Go to My Crossroads today and get started. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com. Thank you, Patrick. That's uh, really nice of you. And, and uh, I am a big Patrick Garcia fan and even a bigger fan of his wife, Savannah, and their family. Now, I drove down here last night myself. That may not sound very impressive to you, but anymore, when I travel to speak, I usually have a volunteer driver because I have a very difficult time staying awake in the afternoons. But I fired my driver two weeks ago, and my wife has accompanied me. My wife Judy is here today. The reason I fired my volunteer driver, Andy Potts, has driven me a lot of places, but he is an undertaker by trade. And he drove me two weeks ago to Indianapolis, and after I spoke, we went to the car, and he said, I know you're going to go to sleep on the way back, so don't sit in the front seat. Just lie down in the back seat. We'll count it as a rehearsal. So I fired Andy, and I'm um, driving myself these days. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for this church and for the influence you've had over the years and for your growth and for the uh, way you've stood for truth over the years. And I understand that you have just gone through a significant transition in recent months in that Ken Eidelman a uh, pastor nearing 70 years of age, passed the baton to a young, uh, very talented, gifted young man, Patrick Garcia, who is still a teenager. And uh, this is a big transition for the church and for Patrick, who's actually 28 years old. So I thought what I would talk with you about today is what you can expect from your new pastor and what he has a right to expect from you. Because as I thought about coming here, I thought, what can I preach on that will be the most helpful to this church in Evansville? Because folks, we need you to be the most effective church you can be. This community needs you. Lost people need you. And you need this church. As you're beat down by the world that is so hostile to the Christian faith anymore, you need this church to be a place of refuge. You need this church to be a place where you come in week after week and you're reinforced and you're uh, renewed in your faith to, to go out and stand for truth. 
So I decided that this message would be the right message, even though I've spoken a few of these things to some of your elders in a recent meeting, that this is what I should do. It is a message that would be very difficult for Patrick to preach because it would frankly sound self-serving at times, but it's a message I can preach because I'm a guest, I'm an old man, and I don't have any agenda. So (laughs) please understand this was not Patrick's idea, it was my idea from the beginning. In 1965, the church where I preached for 40 years, in 1965, it was four years old and had been without a preacher for a year. They were trying to find a preacher. They contacted two middle-aged guys who were very gifted, who would see the potential. They almost came, but at the last minute turned them down. So they were without a preacher for two years. The leaders finally concluded, maybe God is trying to lead us to a younger man who will grow with us. So they went to the president of the Cincinnati Bible College and they said, would you give us the names of three or four young men who have recently graduated that you think have potential? Then they said, we're going to hire a young man and we're going to make him successful. I thought, you know, that ought to be the motto of every eldership. When they concluded that I should be the preacher, I was 22 years old. And I was really intimidated by this new opportunity because I was from the country. This church was in the city. I had a BA degree from Bible college and there are a number of PhDs in this church. I came from a little church. This was going to become a larger church. I said to the president of the Bible college, Woodrow Perry, I said, I am really nervous about going to that church. He said, well, the Lord will be with you. But then he said this. He said, is my observation that the church makes the preacher. I think there's a lot of truth to that. In large part, you as a congregation will determine the effectiveness of your preacher by your attitude and your support. So I wanna challenge you today to do your best to make Patrick Garcia and the church staff successful in the eyes of God. So I wanna read from 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verses one through six. And then we'll think about what you have a right to expect of your preacher and what he has a right to expect of you. The Apostle Peter writes, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory that is be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, there are a number of titles for minister, preacher in the Bible, but the one I like the best is this shepherd. Be shepherds, be pastors of God's flock that is under your care. Now, what were the responsibilities of a shepherd in the New Testament times, and how were the sheep supposed to respond? 
Well, one thing, the shepherd was to lead the sheep. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being an example to the flock. The shepherd doesn't drive the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep and the sheep instinctively follow. So you have a right to expect your preacher to lead by being a spiritual example. The preacher doesn't lord it over the flock. He doesn't dictate my way or the highway. He doesn't micromanage every committee and lead by intimidation. Peter said, you serve willingly, but you lead by serving as did Jesus. So set the example if you're the preacher. The apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So you have a right to expect your preacher to have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, to believe the Bible as the word of God and to preach it. You have a right to expect him to be a man of integrity, to guard his speech, to avoid greed, to be faithful to his wife, to discipline his children, to be kind to his neighbor, to pay his bills on time. That's realistic. You've got a right to expect him to walk his talk. Several years ago, Bruce Rocky of our church, who had become a deacon, said, I got to tell you my story. He said, I didn't go to church for 20 years, but I heard you, Bob, preaching on the radio. And I kind of liked what I heard, but I was really skeptical of preachers in big churches. I thought they were all exploiting people, taking advantage of them, they're greedy. So I found out where you lived and I drove by to see your house. And if you lived in a mansion, I wasn't coming. But you lived in an ordinary house, so I came. I was so glad to have my two Porsches parked in the garage and he didn't see <laughs> Now that's not true. But people watch to see if the preacher is walking his talk. And you, you have a right to expect him to have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me add a word of caution here. Don't expect him to be perfect. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not, not even one. There's only one perfect shepherd, and that's Jesus. So give your young preacher a little slack. If he forgets your name, or he misquotes a verse, or he forgets an appointment, or he is a little impatient with his wife, or he doesn't discipline his children, or he... Uh, Roots for the wrong ball team or something. You, you, you practice that verse that says, God blesses those who are merciful. Great day. In my early years, I forgot a wedding. Now look, if a guy confesses a fault, you're supposed to say, we understand. Anybody could do that. But you don't get any worse than that. But yet my congregation forgave me and, and I stayed there for 40 years. You give him some slack. You expect him to lead, but don't expect him to be perfect. Now, he has a right to expect you to follow him. Peter wrote, you clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. One of the tests of your character is, can you be a leader in one sphere and a good follower in another? Can you lead in education? Can you lead in business? Can you lead in your home? And then come into church and be a good follower. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority so that their work is a joy, not a burden. One of the problems we have in churches today is, is, is pride. We got all kind of leadership conferences. We don't have very many followership conferences. But people want their way. They want their style of music. They want their kind of program. They want things to go their way. 
And the congregation starts out saying they're going to support the new preacher, and then he comes up with an idea that takes them out of their comfort zone, and then they begin to resist. Jack Hillary of Hillary and Bradsby said to me, he said, you can be sure of two things. People resist change. They don't like change. Number two, people don't like the way things are. But you know what? The church has to change methodology. The message never change, changes. But the way the gospel is presented, music, programming, change. Or we get run over being stagnant. So you can expect your preacher to lead by example. He expects you to follow. Now there are two times that you shouldn't follow your preacher. You shouldn't follow him if he goes counter to the word of God. The apostle Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. Church is not to be a cult. The real word of truth is the Bible. And if he goes contrary to what the Bible says, you should not follow. And you shouldn't follow if he isn't accountable to the lay leaders of the church. If he doesn't have the support of the elders and the church board, and he's trying to ram something through, that ought to be a red flag to you. But if there's harmony at the core about where the church should go, and it's not countered the Bible, then you're to have a humble, submissive spirit and follow, even if it might mean a change in methodology. Do you remember several years ago when Christmas fell on Sunday, and a lot of large churches decided that they would have a big Christmas Eve service, and then they would dismiss on Sunday morning so people would be with their families, because it's really hard to bring all the volunteers and all the, the leaders back in on Sunday morning, and most people are going to come Saturday night. Well, uh, that hit the fan with the media, and there's a big article in USA Today about churches dismissing on Sunday, and they got a lot of criticism. Well, our church in Louisville thought about doing that, but at the last minute our elders said, you know, we, we probably ought to have a service on Sunday morning because there might, might be some people who can't come on, on Christmas Eve and maybe some people want to come back. But let's not have two services because not that many people are going to come back. I'll tell you what, let's not have it in the main sanctuary. Let's have it, our service on the Christmas day in the fellowship hall and just kind of have an informal service, keep it simple and it'll be more intimate. We did and it was great. But you know, there was one couple that morning that came and sat in the darkened sanctuary the entire hour. And the greeters went up to them and said, you know, we're meeting in the fellowship hall. And with tears in their eyes, they said, yes, we know, but this is where God intends his people to be on the Lord's day. And people asked me why I retired. Well, <laughs> look, there's nothing in the Bible that says you're supposed to meet in one part of the church building or the other. And you know what? If, if your leaders lead, then you clothe yourself with humility and be willing to follow. Here's the second thing about a shepherd. A shepherd loves his sheep. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep know instinctively that the shepherd cares about them. And they know the difference between the shepherd's voice and that of the hireling, and they don't follow the hireling. You have a right to expect your preacher to care about you, to come to know you as best he can and to value you as a person, a part of the flock. And you can expect him to treat every member with dignity and honor. Now, he's not going to be able to spend the same amount of time in a large church like this. You can't spend the same amount of time with everybody. Jesus had three close friends, Peter, James, and John. 
But he shouldn't show favoritism to the rich or the influential or the young or the attractive. The good shepherd cared for the least of these, and so should the, the good under-shepherd. When I was about a 10-year-old boy, we got a new preacher at our church. We'd had an 80-year-old preacher who finally retired, and we hired a 24-year-old preacher. And I looked up one day in a Little League baseball game I was playing, and there was our preacher sitting in the stands. He'd come to see me play baseball. I, I can't remember one sermon he ever preached, but I'll never forget him being at that baseball game. <laughs> Now, this church is too large for your preacher to be at every Little League baseball game, but he will find ways to communicate that he cares for his flock. You can expect him to pray for you, to listen to you, to help guide you through stress and problems, to see that you are visited when you're sick, to challenge you to grow as a Christian so that you can reach your full potential. Now, having said that, let me caution you, don't expect your preacher to be your personal chaplain. One of the reasons that most churches don't grow to this size is because people in the church want the preacher to be kind of their spiritual father. They want him and him only to minister to them. And the preacher spends so much time holding hands and wiping noses and listening to gripes that he doesn't have time for vital issues like the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. You are not the only sheep in this fold. There are like 4,000 members of this church. It's a big church. So you're not the only one that he loves. So give him some space. As our church grew, one day I went to our elders and said, you know what, I feel like I'm overextended. I'm not doing very well. I just can't keep up with everything. And they were wise enough to see and to help make me successful and to help me grow. They said, why don't you stop preaching on Sunday nights? Get somebody else to do that. You're not expected to go to all the class meetings that you're going to. And why don't you stop marital counseling? You refer marital problems to a special counselor, and we'll hire a, an executive pastor to help you. Then they asked me, how many times a week do you go to the hospital to visit people who are sick? And I said, well, it's a big church. I probably go three times a week. They said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's train people in the church who have strong mercy gifts to visit in the hospital, someone visit every day. And Bob, instead of you going three times a week, you just go once a week and you only go visit people who are terminally ill. Because the church cannot be a pyramid with one guy at the top meeting everybody's needs or the base is only gonna be so, so large, so wide. The church has got to become, as it grows, a circle where we train people to minister to each other, and that means there's no limit to the size that the circle can be. That's a New Testament concept. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul said, God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be leaders and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So in a church this size, one guy can't meet everybody's needs, but we can train each other and we can minister to each other and there's no limit to the number of people we can meet. So I explained that to our congregation and I said, look, now when you're in the hospital from this point on, don't expect the preacher to come visit you. There's going to be somebody with high mercy gifts who really cares will come and visit you. I only go to people who are terminally ill. 
Several months later, I went to visit the Baptist East Hospital, intensive care, a guy who was terminally ill. As I was walking down the hallway, a member of our church I didn't know was in there was standing outside his room. He's in there for minor operation. He was standing in his gown. He saw me come and said, you're not coming to see me, are you? He said, you're kind of the grim reaper. We don't want to see you come, huh? But as the church grows, you have, to, you have a right to expect your preacher and your elders to, to love you and to care for you when you have needs. But the preacher has a right to expect you to love him in return. One of the best things you can do for the stability of this church, even if your person's sitting almost anonymously, is to express love and support to your preacher and staff. Leaders get their share of criticism and fault-finding, but they need to know that they are loved in return. In Acts, the 20th chapter, the apostle Paul met with the elders at Ephesus in the city of Miletus, and it says they came and they embraced him and they prayed for him and they knelt together and they wept when they heard him say that he would never be back. Healthy congregation loves its preacher. Send them notes of encouragement. Speak a word to him and his wife on occasion, just saying, hey, once you know, we appreciate you. Maybe give them a gift certificate to a local restaurant or practice hospitality and open up your home to them. And you've know, got three young kids, volunteer your wife to babysit for the kids sometimes. <laughs> and you stand by them in tough times. Now, when you disagree with your preacher, you approach him in love. Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse one says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. We have a guy in our church, John Foster, who I really loved and he loved me. He was an elder and he died about a year ago and I really miss him. But he disagreed with something I said in a sermon toward the end of my ministry. I said that a couple was shacking up and in my upbringing, nothing wrong with saying shacking up, but in John's upbringing, shacking up was a vulgar phrase, and he was offended by that. So he took me aside and he said, Bob, that phrase you used in a sermon last Sunday, shacking up, that didn't sound like a Bob Russell phrase. Isn't that good? He didn't say, I've talked to 25 people, and boy, we're all upset. We've got this petition going. We've been on social media spreading it all around. And he didn't say, hey, that's the most vulgar thing I've ever heard you say. I was so disappointed. No, he said, that didn't sound like a phrase you would normally use. And I received it because I knew he loved me, and he approached me gently. I said, John, I'm never going to use that phrase again when you're in the audience. Uh, you know? <laughs> You have a right to expect your preacher to love you. He has a right to expect you to love him in return. Here's a third thing. A good shepherd protects his sheep. That's why they had that staff. Take the blunt into that staff and knock away the predators. David told King Saul, when I was a shepherd, I killed a lion and a bear. And the apostle Paul wrote in Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 29, 
Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number, even from the church. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So you have a right to expect your pastor to protect the church against spiritual predators who would devour you. I see three kinds of savage wolves that would devour the church. First, there are false teaching wolves. 2 Timothy 2.17 says, false teaching spreads like gangrene. It's got to be excised or it's going to destroy. The second are divisive wolves. Titus 3.10 says, warn a divisive person once and don't, don't warn him a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with him. Sometimes in the church, there are certain people who are so contentious, they're at the core of every problem and somebody needs to confront them and say, it's got to change. And then there are immoral wolves. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul chastised the Corinthian church leaders because they were tolerating a man who was openly, flagrantly living in incest. He said, you shouldn't be proud of your tolerance. You should discipline this man so that he will repent because a little leaven will impact the whole batch of dough. Paul's saying, look, the church is, nobody in the church is perfect, but it's not just a social club where anything goes. It's supposed to be the ecclesia, the people who are called out. And if there is somebody living in flagrant immorality, then it's a job of the pastor, the shepherd, to protect the rest of the flock or it's going to, the whole thing will, will deteriorate. I've got two sons. I've got one son who's a preacher and one son who's a policeman. We've got love and justice in our home. <laughs> but my son took this church in Port Charlotte, Florida, six years ago. He wasn't there several weeks when he called me and said, Dad, in this church of 400 people, we have six, eight couples who are living together without marriage and they're an active part of the church and nobody says anything about it. I know I've got to say something about it as, as the pastor. But I don't want to come across as the heavy as the new preacher. Well, he was preaching through the book of Colossians. And he came to that passage in Colossians that says, take off the old and put on the new. He said, Dad, this is the week I'm going to confront it. I'm going to talk about take off the old standard of this world, which is uh, living together without marriage, shacking up, and then put on the new, <laughs> put on the new standard of uh, being honoring marriage like Christ wants us to. As he was preparing a sermon that week, a woman in the church called him and she said, I, I want to tell you, my boyfriend and I have been living together for six years and we feel guilty. We know we should get married, but he recently lost his job and we can't afford to get married. Rusty said, I'll tell you what, if you'll get married and do the right thing, I'll marry you for free. I'll see that you get the church building for free. She said, oh, that's good. He, then he got an idea. He said, I'm preaching on that very subject this week. Would you be willing to get married at the end of my sermon as an example of what I'm talking about? She said, would it still be for free? <laughs> he said, yes, it would. Well, they agreed to do it. Somebody heard about it that week and went out and bought her a new dress. Somebody else heard about it and went and bought a, birthday, or a wedding cake. Somebody else bought some flowers. And at the end of the second service, a lot of people stayed, come, came out back after Sunday school and stood around the outside. He called up the groom and had a prayer with him. 
And then they played, here comes the bride, and here she came down. He performed a brief wedding ceremony at the end to demonstrate, hey, the church is supposed to be distinctive. Now, it was a very brief ceremony. You know, there's nothing in the Bible about how long a marriage ceremony is supposed to be. One couple told the preacher, we want a brief ceremony. He said, well, how brief? He said, make it as brief as you can make it. He said, really, how brief? Brief as you can make it. He said, well, do you want to be married? They said, yes. He said, you are. Well, <laughs> they had this brief ceremony. And, 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 you know, there are women on the way home saying to their boyfriend, hey, if they can do it, we can do it too. So you have a right to expect your preacher to protect the church against false teachers and divisive people and immorality. But he has a right to expect you to protect him. You protect him against overcommitment. Make sure he spends time with his beautiful family that he's got. Best thing that the preacher can do is to model family in this day and age. Protect him from interruptions. Folks, when you come in here, uh, you want him to preach well. And for him to preach well, he's got to have time to study. You find out when he studies and you protect that. Protect him against being the lightning rod on every controversial issue that surfaces. Protect him from unjust and continuous criticism. Now, he knows, I know, if you're going to carry the ball, you're going to get tackled. Every leader gets criticism. But you can help by countering some of that criticism and not being a party to it and uh, not spreading it. I preached on a really controversial issue one Sunday morning. I knew I was going to get a lot of flack at the end. And I was standing there getting ready for it, and I felt this shadow, big shadow behind me, a big presence. I turned, here's this big ex-football player from the University of Louisville, must stand 6'6", about 280 pounds. And I didn't know him well, but he said, Preacher, I got your back. <laughs> I fell in love with him immediately. <laughs> you guard your preacher's back. Expect him to protect the flock. You protect him as much as possible. One other fact about a good shepherd, a good shepherd feeds his sheep. Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. This is a live audience, isn't it? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The image is that the shepherd leads the pastures and the sheep have so much to eat, they just lie down in green pastures. They don't need anymore. You need a preacher who will feed you the word of God. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And that world out there is so goofed up, so counter to truth. And we're so tossed about by every wind of doctrine. The election coming up has so, everybody's so disturbed. You, you need to be able to come in here and be spiritually fed. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. You need to be able to come in here and hear God's truth proclaimed and go out, be reinforced to, to stand for truth in the world. Now, in order for him to do that, he has to study and be prepared to feed you. The Bible is called milk and meat for the soul. 
Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. That's where we are today. You can go to some churches, you can hear everything is politically correct, but it's counter to the Word of God. But you, Timothy, you keep your head, you endure hardship, you do the work of an evangelist, and you discharge all the duties of your ministry. So when you come in here, you have a right to expect him to preach the word of God. But don't expect him to meet your every need. Not every, ser- not every sermon is going to be a Thanksgiving meal. Sometimes this will be cheese and crackers. Or a hot dog and potato chips. But you, you feed on that. And you encourage him. And he will grow as a young man. I know Patrick loves the Bible. And he will teach the Bible. He wants to feed you. Encourage him. I told Patrick, Matt Proctor, a mutual friend of ours, one time preached a terrible sermon. He knew when he preached it, it was a bad sermon, but still people stood at the door and said, good sermon, good sermon. He said one older woman was a little more honest. She came out and said, nice try. Well, (laughs) you encourage him. And he has a right to expect you to come to the table hungry. Come prepared to worship. Sometimes nothing happens on Sunday morning because too much has happened on Saturday night. And you be prayerful. Every time before he gets up to preach, you pray, Lord, anoint Patrick and help him to feed me. And you support him as he preaches by your body language and by your attitude. I got to tell you what I did before I close. I got to tell you what happened to me three weeks ago. I was in Korea on a mission trip and I was asked to speak to the Oedo uh, Full Gospel Fellowship Church on a Wednesday morning at their uh, b- prayer service on Wednesday morning. This is reputed to be the largest church in the world. I didn't know what I was getting into. But I walked out on stage Wednesday morning at 1030 and here's, here's what I saw. 9,000 people were jammed into this building for Wednesday morning at 9.30. And they had a full choir with robes and orchestra. It was like Easter Sunday morning. It was the most alive place I've ever been. I got up to preach, and they, they kept saying, amen, amen. I was speaking in English. They didn't understand what I was saying. They were still amen, and it was getting me fired up. Now, the congregation's response makes a big difference. I'm not suggesting you shout amen when Patrick preaches. That's not your culture here. But at least open your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Unfold your arms. Nod your head. Laugh out loud. But more importantly than that, give him feedback afterward and tell him what helped you. But most importantly, you do what it says. The Bible says, don't be hearers of the word, but doers only. And when Patrick hears reports about people out in the community uh, giving good comments about the changed lives, that encourages his preachers. So you can expect your preacher to be a shepherd who leads, who loves, who protects, and who feeds his flock. And he can expect you to follow him as he follows Christ. Now, I had two friends in ministry who went to visit John MacArthur's church 
a few years ago, San Fernando Valley, California, the Grace Community Church, they wanted to know why this church had grown to be 7,000 people. They went in early, sat down, they thought anonymously in a large auditorium, elderly woman came over to them and said, are you visiting with us today? Yes, we are. Where are you from? We're from the Midwest. Well, what brings you out here? Well, actually, we're two preachers, and we just wanted to come see why John MacArthur's church was growing like this. And this older lady said, oh, you're going to love John MacArthur. And they said right then, they had a pretty good clue as to why that church was doing so well. An older woman spotted visitors and welcomed them. And she was unashamed to say, we love it here. We love our preacher, and you're going to love it here too. That's the kind of support that every church needs to have for its pastor. And you do that, and this church will be a vital force in this community, reaching the lost and building you up. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray. Father, I'm so impressed with this church. Number of people here, the Spirit. And I so love Patrick and Savannah. Impressed with their staff. Lift their vision, Lord. Help them to see what can be in the future. Not to be satisfied, although already a large church. Help them to see they can minister to so many people's needs. They can, they can reach so many lost people. This place can be a source of strength and refuge for them even beyond what it is now. Help them to be unified, to build one another up. The one day we'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.